Good morning. It's great. Well, thank you for saying good morning back to me. Yeah. Uh, it's great to be with you again this morning. I don't get many chances to preach two sermons in a row. Uh, since I resigned in 2012. Uh, so it's a great privilege for me. And I'm looking forward to being with Joe when we go to the Democratic Republic of Congo together in August. And uh, I was just talking with Jeff and hope to give you some slides of the Congo uh, somewhere over the next couple of weeks so you'll see what uh, Joe will be doing with me there in the, in the Congo as we, as we train other pastors. We want to open our Bibles to Romans chapter 16 this morning. We're going to be meditating. I'll be preaching on chapter 16, 25 through 27. And just before I read that, let me suggest the, the reason for reading the text together and spending 30 minutes or so meditating upon it is to help us fill in the blank. Worship. We're here to worship our God, and part of the method of our worship is to open and worship together over the Word of God. Now, we do believe the Bible has transforming power in life. We hope to make applications that go along and are consistent with the intent of the text, right? So we don't just dream up applications. We think, what does this text compel us to do? We want to think about that and meditate this morning on this in Romans 16, chapters tw uh, verses 25 through 27. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my, to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And Father, as we continue in worship this morning, we would trust that as we are now with you, that you would be with us and that your spirit would give us light into the truth of your word and into life. We pray, Father, that these minutes in worship would truly glorify you, as this text says, that you are the only, the only wise God. Be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. In uh, the ministry that I'm with with Reach Global, we train pastors overseas, and one of our ministry areas is in Thailand. We have a really unique group in Thailand, a group of pastors who've come together. They're mostly from the mountainous areas of Thailand. And when we introduced the concept of our training to them, we shared with them, we train you, you go train others. And this isn't what we said. This is what one of the pastors said. We can't do that. And so we explained it over again. We will train you so that you can go train others. And this is what the pastor said. We did not say this. He said, we can't do that. We are monkeys. Now, 
obviously, that is a horrible slant on a person, right? And he said that about himself and some of his other pastors. But these pastors from the mountainous areas are looked down on in the whole country. They look down on them. Uh, most of their villages don't have schools in them. If they want their child to go to school, they have to send them to a, another town to live and go to school, and they do that. But we can't, we can't train other pastors. Now, that training group also has three translators present who are translating for four other pastors. So we have one American and three translators going in the same room at the same time. This is not how you picture things working. But you know what? These guys just love the Word of God. They love it. And they're so excited to be trained in how to read carefully the Word of God, make applications to life, and learn how, to, how they can preach that in their villages. And the, Thailand, as we've learned, is broken up into 7,200 districts. And 6,000 of those districts do not have a church. There's only 1,200 districts that have churches out of 7,200. Now, what Thailand doesn't need is for an American or someone to come over and plant a church, which is what we've done in missions for decades. I have two guys working with me full time who came back from overseas who did that. And they said, yeah, we got one church planted in 25 years. I mean, it took everything we had to learn the language, keep our families together and, and maintain everything and get that church planted. What they do need is training for how they can plant churches and do things like read the Bible and carefully and preach the word of God. That's the age of missions that we're in now, is making sure that we get the nationals, not the nationals trained. Well, as you know, Thailand is a country that's famous for uh, some negative things. The sex trade, huge. Out of Thailand, uh, corruption from the beginning of the government all the way through up and down. The, it is a very corrupt country. And as we think about it, it's not unlike Rome of 2,000 years ago. And as we think of the book of Romans, there's a church planted in this Roman capital. Rome was a city of idols. They said there wasn't a block you could walk through in Rome and not see an idol. They built idols everywhere, hundreds and hundreds of idols. And you just kind of pick your favorite idol and your favorite ones and hope that the God represented in that idol would help you somehow in life. And we go all over the Roman Empire, hundreds and thousands of gods. And now there's a church who's saying, we know one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One essence in three persons, and this is what he'll do with your life if you trust in him. And people have come to Christ. And now the apostle writes a letter to help the church at Rome understand the gospel and see how it applies to life. 
We want to look closely at this this morning. Now, a, a Pew report came out this year in 2015 that said that in America, uh, the numbers of people who do not identify with any religion, they are non-religious people, is growing exponentially. More and more people don't put down anything. They are truly a secular people. And as we begin to look at Romans, just briefly this morning, knowing that there's a lot of things that's true in Rome, but it's also true in our communities in America. And people need to hear the gospel and the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, what we have here is a doxology. If you look at your text with me in Romans 16, it's a, it's a doxology. Now to him was able to strengthen you according to my gospel. Now, uh, doxologies do a couple of things in the Bible. Uh, if you just think of the word doxa and ology, doxa meant glory, Latin for glory, and the ology part is the word or the study of. We can use it in, in both of those ways. So when we think of doxologies, we describe it in, in, the, in the Bible. We think of, of the word of glory. So the apostles, as they write epistles and so forth, use doxology to ascribe glory to God. And we can read this all through uh, different books of the Bible, different epistles that we, that we see. So Peter wrote, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. To him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Typical kind of doxology. Now, John wrote one in Revelation, actually at the beginning of the book, to him who loves us, freed us from our sins by his blood, made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So he has the word of glory, but he also puts within that doxology some of the benefits we have from this glorious God. So we find that doxologies not only bring glory to God, but they will also sometimes speak of the benefits that we have in that God. And this is what Paul does in this doxology of 1625 through 27. We see some of the benefits that we have as well. We want to look closely at these benefits. I'm thinking that there's benefits here that we often do not think of or that we, or that we don't think of them rightly. And we want to do that, don't we? We want to think of what the scripture tells us in the right manner. So first off, we are strengthened by Jesus' gospel. He says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. He strengthens you according to my gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now this is the mystery that's revealed. He speaks here later of the mystery that's been kept secret for long ages. That as Moses was writing the Pentateuch, and as the other prophets wrote, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and all the rest, there's a mystery that it's being revealed, but not understood, and in that it's being kept secret. And now in this fullness of time, 2,000 years ago, till today, Jesus Christ is revealed as the answer to that mystery in the gospel. But he says there we're strengthened by he was able to strengthen you according to my gospel. We need to think about that a moment. 
Do you think of how God strengthens you by the gospel? Typically, we would do this. You know, that neighbor I've got really needs the gospel. You know, those young people I saw the other day out there in the park, they really need the gospel. I've got family members that need the gospel. We tend to think about how somebody else needs the gospel. But what he says here is this gospel is able to strengthen you. And somewhere we've put ourselves apart from the gospel and we've not recognized the part of the grace of God in the gospel is he wants to strengthen you with the gospel every day. The gospel is an everyday experience, not something that you just experienced the day you were baptized or the day that you know, you wrote your name and the date that you received Christ in your Bible or something like that. He says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. And the gospel is here to strengthen us each day. Now, there's a center to this gospel, and that's the preaching of Jesus Christ, he says. To my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is really the hope, the sum, the center of the gospel. Jesus, in a sense, embodies the gospel. And if one would be centered upon Jesus Christ, they're centered on the gospel and the empowering effects of the gospel. We want to think about that some more as we go along here. But Jesus gave us this effect for his life. In John chapter 17, in that great prayer, he said, glorify the Son, as he speaks to the Father, Glorify the Son that the Son may glorify you. That is the effect of his life. Glorify the Son now that the Son may glorify you. And the Son wants to glorify the Father. We know as well from Scripture the Father wants to glorify the Son. And the Spirit empowers all of this. Glorify the Son, that the Son may glorify you. And we read here in verse 27, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. We are strengthened by Jesus' gospel for a certain effect. He wants to strengthen you. But let's, let me stop for a moment because we need to go, let me go backwards before we go forward here. Because we need to think in Romans how does the apostle explain this gospel, right? If we're talking about a gospel, according to my gospel, we better know what that gospel is. And the more particularly we take its effect, the better off we'll be. Now, if you would, turn with me back in your Bible for a moment, just to Romans chapter 3. We have in Romans chapter 3, starting with verse 21, what Martin Luther called the gospel in a nutshell. God, Luther said, this is the clearest presentation of the gospel in the Bible. It's an explanation of the gospel. Now, I, we don't have a lot of time to walk through this, okay? So I'm just going to read it, give you a couple of pointers on it. Chapter 3, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Now, there's a question here that this little section is going to answer. It's going to answer 
How can God be just and righteous and he accept me as just and righteous? That's the question of Romans 3. How can God be gloriously righteous and accept a sinner like me? That's the, that's the operative question that this little section is about to answer. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There's no distinction for all of sin falls short of the glory of God. Are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see the last part of the last sentence. So that he might be just, you could put the word righteous there, there, and some translations do, or you could say so that he might be righteous and the justifier of the one, you and me, who has faith in Jesus. So what that little text tells us, and it's worth more than just a a couple of comments, is that God is holy and righteous, and through the Son, Jesus Christ, and his death, God can accept us, who are sinners, into his family, because the penalty for sin fell upon Jesus, who was righteous. Thus, God can be both a justifier of someone like me, and righteous in all that he is. And that's the beauty and the power of the gospel. That's the gospel. But Paul goes on to say, this gospel just isn't for one moment in life. It's for all of life. And God will be strengthening you with this gospel. That's his will and his purpose to strengthen you through the gospel for all of life. And what's he strengthening us towards then? And this is the second part of what I'm presenting today. In the worldwide movement of faith for God's glory. God wants to strengthen you by Jesus' gospel in the worldwide movement of faith for his glory, for God's glory. You see it? God would take this gospel, its power, this glorious sum in Jesus Christ, Use it in our lives then to give us strength. And as the text moves on, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. That's happening because of the obedience of faith in the Christian's life. So that we are participants then in the worldwide movement of faith for God's glory. He says in verse 26, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Key phrase for us in the book of Romans. Keep your finger there, but go back. I'm only going to do this this one more time. If you can stay with me, turn back to Romans chapter 1. And we want to look at verse 5. Romans chapter 1, verse 5, he says, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith 
for the sake of his name, name among all the nations. You see that phrase, for the obedience of faith. What did we just read in verse 26? To bring about the obedience of faith, same phrase. If you want to know what a book is about, you go to the beginning of the book, read it, skip to the end of the book, read it, look for what they have in common, and you find what the, what's the book about. The book of Romans is about the obedience of faith. How is it possible? What does it mean? It comes to us through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then we come in with an obedience that, that we don't merit anything because our obedience is simply to receive the gift, and that's faith and trust in God. And then we get the grace, and God gets the glory. We get none. We don't get the glory for our faith. God gets the glory for our faith. If it was any other way, we would get the glory. If I said, well, uh, uh, my works or my obedience brought about merits, then I would get the glory. But I don't get the glory. God gets the glory. He gets the glory. I get the benefits of the grace of God. I'll take that any day. I get the grace. He gets the glory. The instrument is God's grace. My part is to trust him and have faith. The instrument is always the grace of God to bring about an effect. And the effect is I, I receive it. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he's done in his life and his death to bring about new life. So we see that the obedience of faith brings us then into this worldwide movement of faith for God's glory. So where the apostle begins the book in chapter 1, verse 5, he ends the book in chapter 16, verse 26. This obedience of faith then which brings glory to God. Now there was a comedian who said this. I have a lot of beliefs. And I live by none of them. That's just the way I am. They're just my beliefs. I just like believing them. I like that part. They're my little believies. They make me feel good about who I am. But if they get in the way of what I want, I sure don't do what I say that I believe. His little believies. Now, I'm sure he got some laughs from that. Is your faith in Christ a little believy? That when it's inconvenient, you decide, well, it's just a little believy. I think I'll ignore it. And then I'll do what I want to do, what my nature wants to do, what I think will satisfy me in what I want to do. A little believy. And now that's not what this book means by faith and believing. A biblical faith drinks from the fountain of the grace of God for all of life. You want to drink from the purest, cleanest fountain. If you went upstream and there was a dead, a dead animal in the stream, would you drink from it? But you'd want to drink from a mountain stream that was clear and clean and, and pure. You want the purest, cleanest fountain and stream you can find for life. 
And that's the glorious gospel of God in Jesus Christ. There's the stream and the fountain for life. And faith is simply drinking deeply from that stream and receive the benefits that God has for you. All that he wants for you. Jesus does want to forgive your sins. That's why he came. And when they questioned him in the beginning of the Gospels, he said, I'm going to heal this one so that you can know the authority that I have. First miracle of the book of, Matthew, uh, book of Mark. So he heals the paralytic and says, so that you can know I have the authority to forgive sins. And they went away and said, well, who has the authority to do that but God? Exactly. And then, one chapter later, they're making plans to kill him. Jesus wants to forgive your sins. And you want to drink deeply of that stream for life. And you want to continue drinking deeply of that stream, the gospel. You know, I was in a, a gym one day where I work out, and there's a young lady there, and I think she had a, it looked like a softball jersey on it. And it had a quote from the book of Philippians in, on, the, on her back. It said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Good girl. You know, she, she's got the word right on her back there. And then I started wondering, does she really know what that verse is about? I do this to myself all the time. <laughs> does she really know what that verse is about? Now, in the context of being in an athletic facility, she might be thinking, I don't know this. I don't know her name. I never talked to her. Uh, I can be the best hitter on the softball team. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I'm going to be a great hitter on the softball team. Now, what it means in context, the way the Apostle Paul wrote it, is you can put me in prison. I will still be content and be empowered by the gospel. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So what, how he meant it was you can kill me and put me in prison, whatever. I will still live a contented life empowered by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how he meant it. So in the context of being on the softball team, it could mean for her, I can be the worst hitter on the team. I can be the ninth best hitter on the team and be fulfilling. I can do all things through him who strengthens me because I'll be contented as a person who's empowered by the glorious gospel of God and Jesus Christ. And that's why I'm alive on the planet today. That's what it means for her. Maybe she understood that. I don't know. But... When we think of the gospel, we don't want to just think it's for her or for him. I want to remember it's for me in the church as a believer today. God wants to continually empower us via the gospel. And it has that kind of power in life. Well, why might this not be happening? Let me give us a couple of ideas here as we're thinking about application of this. Well, perhaps we're busy depending upon our moods and performance rather than Christ. Perhaps we're 
busy depending upon moods and performance rather than Christ. You know, it's the old, the old illustration of pulling the train by the engine or by the caboose. Caboose being feelings. I forgot. Some people don't know what cabooses are, right? We don't have cabooses on trains anymore. But uh, you probably know what a caboose is. You know you don't pull the train by the caboose. You can't pull the train via your moods or your performance. You have to put your faith in the engine, which is Christ and the gospel. A second thought here. We don't connect the gospel's power to every area of life. Softball team. How does the gospel empower me on the softball team? Or being an accountant in my office with the other business people, wherever, wherever I might be. It empowers me to be the person I can be in Jesus Christ and be glorifying to his name, whether I'm the best accountant in the office or whether or not I'm making a whole bunch of mistakes today. I can be the person of good character who maintains the standards and the glory of God in Christ. Or a third thought here, we do not plan in particulars to live in the obedience of faith for God's glory. You know, it really comes down to, the obedience faith comes down that in all the particulars of life, I want to plan to be glorifying God as a spouse, as a parent, as a child, uh, as an elected official, as a voter, uh, you name it, in all the particulars of my life, we can be thinking about how do I live the obedience of faith for the glory of God. And that's part of the beauty of the Christian life. Let me give you a quote by Jonathan Edwards, who preached back in the 1700s. He said, he manifests his glory in the highest happiness of his creatures as they drink from the fountain of his revealed glory. What a beautiful thing to say. He manifests his glory in the highest happiness of his creatures. When we think of this doxology in, in Romans 16, what's been given to us in the gospel preaching of Jesus Christ for the obedience of faith is what would make us the happiest people on earth. We don't say that lightly or frivolously. This is the way to the greatest happiness and joy of life. He went on to say, the happiness of the creature consists in rejoicing in God, by which God also is magnified and exalted. The happiness of the creature consists in rejoicing in God, by which God also is magnified and exalted. As we pick up the book of Romans, we find you know, 16 chapters explaining the present power of the gospel, not just for unbelievers, but for the church, for us as well. How then we can drink from the purest of streams the glory of the gospel of God and Jesus Christ, how he enables that to work in us and empower us in all that we do to our greatest happiness in God and his glory. It's real. And it's true, and we can have it, have it all in Jesus Christ. Let's pray for a minute, and we'll have the worship team come and, and lead us in a final hymn. Father, as we've opened for a few minutes this Romans 16 text, we've 
skimmed it in some sense, but we've tried to mine it as well and understand why would the apostle end with such a long sentence? So overcome with the great victory, the great power present in his life that as he wrote with that quill feather pen, he'd be writing something about your glory and what would please you and what would bring great power to the church at Rome. Father, we pray that we might drink deeply of that stream as well. We pray that we might drink of the purity of the glory of Jesus, his life, death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, knowing that you are on our side and you smile as you forgive our sins. You smile upon us as you empower us with the gospel every day and that we can live in a contented, joyful fashion, even in the midst of a world that denies your power. In this we bring you glory, O Lord. May you, the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen.